0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast Series. The number one sports podcast on planet Earth, proudly brought to you each and every week by the terrible humans at Caffeine Gum Australia. So for those new to the podcast, Caffeine Gum Australia is a company that both Kate and I own. Uh, Everything that you buy there goes into supporting this podcast. And what it is, is it's caffeinated chewing gum. So it's perfect for sports people and uh, amateur or professional athletes. It's batch-tested product. Um, currently, we're selling to NRL, AFL, and various super rugby clubs around the country, which is very, very cool. And I think a lot of people have become aware of it through the podcast, so that's truly appreciated, guys. Um, three great flavors, Arctic Mint, Spearmint, Cinnamon, and 100 milligrams of caffeine. It's pretty awesome. So check it out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. All right, guys, I'm really excited about today's podcast. So, usually what I've been doing is try and speak to a rugby coach or a rugby player. And and whilst initially I started this podcast as a business decision, it's quickly become more than that. So, um, for regular listeners to the podcast, you'd know that I started my journey as a coach in the last couple of years. And as I think for anyone that, that takes coaching seriously it's opened up a whole heap of new doors and and a whole, heap, a whole heap of new inquiries for me and it's been a very valuable tool and and through that uh, a lot of other coaches have come on board and there's there's this little community of coaches which is rapidly growing who who like to listen and learn from these coaches as well so while I'm learning I'm sharing it with other people which is really really cool so today's podcast Whilst it's still kind of rugby related, um, the our guest isn't necessarily a rugby coach, although he is an amateur rugby coach, um, but but let's just get straight into it. So today's very special guest is Martin Bingesser. So Martin is the Swiss national hammer throw coach. He also is an athletic development coach for his club GC Zurich in Switzerland and um, so he's, he's learning the game as well. But he's done continuing education for rugby, for the English Rugby Union, Scottish Rugby Union, um, Northampton Saints, Munster. And he's currently doing some work for the ARU uh, in trying to up upskill their strength and conditioning p- department. Um, he's a very accomplished athlete. He's the 11-time Swiss national champion. Uh, he's also a attorney, a tax attorney. And, you know, when I... when. I had the opportunity to speak to him. Um, the more you look into what he's done and the people that he's been surrounded by, you realise that this guy's a, a bit of a giant in the strength and conditioning world. And he, he his real specialty is transferring gym strength into on field strength, or, or the track strength, or you know basically having a practical uh, application for the strength training that you do in the gym. So it was really cool to pick his brain on world class performance. Uh, how to get the most out of your athletes, how to get the most out of amateur athletes and just coaching in general. So this, this was a very, very big deal for me uh, getting to speak to Martin. Uh, it was a little outside my comfort zone, which is a very good thing. And I really hope you all enjoy it. So oh, before I forget, I've got to mention Martin also runs a company called HMMR Media, uh, which is a fantastic online resource for coaches um, for various fields and, and experts from various fields. So check that out. I'll put it in the show notes and yeah. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Mr. Martin Bingisa. Okay. We're live Martin, Thank you very much for doing this, mate. I've, uh, As we were just talking off air, uh, Dan Palmer, a mutual friend of ours, um, you know, recommended that I speak to you. And then I did some research into, um, into you and your story. And, um, I, I absolutely had to speak to you. And so, firstly, thank you very much for coming on. for For those that don't know who you are, could you give a brief introduction on your athletic history and your coaching history?
1: I'm sure most people don't know who I am. So, thanks for having me on, first of all. And um, I mean, my athletic history is mostly in track and field, in the most obscure event, well probably the second most obscure after race walking, but the most obscure event in, in track and field. And that's the hammer throw. Uh, you know, the, the hundred meters gets the headlines at the Olympics and everything like that. And the hammer throw is normally off in the corner, sometimes on a whole different field training. So, uh, I grew up uh, doing all the throws—shot put, discus, hammer—as uh, a kid, and, and gravitated towards the hammer throw. Um, growing up in the U.S., my family's Swiss, and so I got the chance to compete for the Swiss national team um, after university. Uh, competed for them for about. 10 years as 11-time Swiss champion, and at the same time, towards the, the end of my throwing career, I took over as, as national coach here in Switzerland, relocated to Switzerland as well, and uh, have been um, working to, to help develop the next generation of, of Swiss hammer throwers. Uh, in addition to that, I'm also a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, through some mutual friends, got involved in rugby, and I've been doing a lot in rugby over the past couple of years on the strength and conditioning side, working with other sports as well. Other track and field events, so I have kind of that that going as well as the hammer throw stuff. And then, um, unfortunately, rugby in Switzerland is about as obscure as hammer throwing. So I picked two sports that are uh, not not going to make me a living. So I work also as a lawyer uh, part time just to pay my rent, so my wife doesn't divorce me, and uh, <laughs> use the other two rugby and, and hammer throwing as my my hobbies to uh, help work with athletes. So you've you've got a lot on your plate. Um, I guess this wasn't
0: really a question I had, but how, how do you manage all that? Because that, that is a lot for one human being to do. Do you do you, are you very disciplined with your schedule? Um, do, do you book it in? Do you make sure that you have enough time for exercise, family? How, how do you manage that personally?
1: I, mean, I think a lot of it's about priorities and a lot of it's about drawing the line. Um, it's also about finding the right people to be around. I mean, part of the reason I moved to Switzerland... Uh, was to pursue my athletic career, but also I was able to find work that allowed me the flexibility to keep training. Um, In the US, when I was there, if I wanted to be a coach or I wanted to be an athlete, um, the choice was going to be, look, I either, um, I've got to get a full-time job and work on the side, um, which wasn't going to be possible. And here uh, I could find a job that was 20, 30 hours a week and still have time to keep training. So um, that's finding the right environment. And then, you know, just, drawing the line like like and also developing as a coach developing independent athletes um you know my athletes if if i'm gone for a week or if i'm doing something else um a conference or something like that they know what to do without me um they they know how to train without me um i don't have to be there every single session so you know i can go there 3 4 times a week i don't have to be there every single day um that's that's a huge benefit and and it's also, you know, drawing the line. I could go to every single competition with them. That would suck up a lot of my time. And also in the end, it might not make them the best as an athlete because they also need to be able to operate. If, if they're, uh, you know, if they're in the Olympic Stadium at the Olympic final, I'm one of, you know, 70,000 people in the crowd. I'm not going to be able to really coach them. Um, you know, same thing in a rugby game. You know, your, your head coach is up in the box. He's not going to be able to coach. You have to have independent players down on the field. So uh, the fact that they, they need to be able to operate without me, it, helps me manage my time, but then also helps them, I think, become better athletes in the long run.
0: Okay. A, f- a few questions there. So I- I've heard some some outstanding coaches say that their goal as a coach is to make themselves redundant so that the athlete can function without them. So it sounds like you've done something quite similar. How, how do you attack that so that your athletes are self-sufficient? Uh, because as someone who is a young coach, something that I – Uh, that really helped my progress as a player is when uh, Dan left Southern Districts, the club I played for. And then all of a sudden I was just thrown in the deep end and forced to work it out. And it really, uh, it made me think about it and it made me really progress my knowledge and learning and and my play. Do you do something similar or how do you attack that?
1: I do something similar. I mean, part of it's by constraints. Like I said, I'm not there all the time. Um, So they have to work it out a bit. And I think they self-organize a bit. The ones who aren't able to work it out, just don't, don't keep, they go find another coach or they go to something else. Whereas the ones who can, can find that, um, stick with me. I think another part of it is, is also with the team culture you build up. It's not just about, you know, you get a 14 year old young hammer thrower coming in. It's not just say, Hey, figure out this really complex event on your own. Um, <laughs> they're going to be in the deep end, not able to swim, but it helps if you have, you know, like, Uh, leaders on your team, older people on the team where they can also give them input and guidance. Um, the same thing there. I mean, if you're, if you're a young prop or something and don't know how to scrimmage, you're going to, it's dangerous. Um, but you know, if you're surrounded by some guys who can help give you some advice and that's why I think you lean on a bit of the, the peer coaching and that, that element on the one hand, it helps give them some guidance. On the other hand, it shows them, you know, to be a good player. It's not just about executing. It's about learning, and uh, it kind of instills that culture a bit further and so that as for me has been biggest. my my older athletes when I say older they're still like some of them are 23, 4, 5 years old they're not old um, but you know they they're basically helping coach the younger kids they can give input and I, they're as I said, I'm almost redundant with them. Like if I'm, I, I can, I'm more of a consultant, I would say than a coach, I do their training plan, but you know, if they're not feeling it that day and they want to switch from back squats to front squats, that's fine. They know their body better than I do. Um, yes. They kind of know what they're working on. Technically I can give them outside input, another set of eyes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of coaching yourself to redundancy. I think that being said, there's always the role for the coach. Um, Cause no matter how much the athlete knows and how self-sufficient they are, um, you, you need that outside outside set of eyes so that someone can see it from a different perspective. And maybe that's a coach, maybe that's a friend, maybe that's something else. But you can't, you can't do everything on your own.
0: This might tie into this might tie into what you've just said a little bit. But I, I got asked for the first time this year, "Why do you coach?" Uh, and it was it really made me think. So because I'd only just started coaching about the motivations for why I wanted to get into coaching. Well, why do you coach?
1: I mean, one of the main reasons I coach is because I I didn't have much of a coach growing up. I was self-taught. As I said, the hammer is an obscure sport and I didn't really have a coach when I started to learn it. There was a couple people, this was back in the 99, 2000, 2001, before YouTube and everything was a thing. So I would send VHS tapes off to people and get their feedback from them. But day-to-day, I didn't have a coach and um, but the, the sport of track and field kind of changed my life. It gave me direction, focus. Um, you know, I was a kid, I was a smart kid, but I was failing out of school just because I wasn't interested and not engaged. And that kind of gave me a bit of direction to focus on, Hey, if you want to keep throwing the hammer, you need to go to university, uh, get your acting gear. And, and those types of things really helped focus me and change my life. And if if I can give, you know, that passion on further to others, I think that's one of the key things, but that's probably why I started coaching. Why I keep coaching is maybe a bit more selfish. It's the challenge. I like, I like problem solving. I like looking at an athlete and figuring out how can we make them better? Or, you know, a a rugby team, like what, what's the key that's going to unlock the success here? Um, For me, that's, that's really fun. I mean, that's something, it's a unique challenge and getting all the elements to work together. You don't find that in a lot of other uh, areas of life. And that's for me, uh, the cool part of coaching.
0: Yeah, mate, I, I couldn't agree more.
1: I, we had our first
0: couple of sessions last week, and my mind has just been worried nonstop about how to make it better and how to, you know, how to get everyone on the same page. Just, just tying into that question, do you do you have a coaching philosophy? And if if so, do you, do you think it's important for coaches to have a coaching philosophy?
1: Yes, and yes, and it, I, I run my own podcast. I have my own website too. I didn't mention the start, but it's called Hammer Media. It's both HMMRmedia.com. Uh, I got a bunch of strength, conditioning resources, coaching resources, and a couple podcasts. And we just recorded a podcast on Sunday that was about coaching philosophy. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through this still as we go. definitely, I definitely have a coaching philosophy. It's evolving. But I would say the two things that are most important for me in my coaching philosophy now are uh, consistency and connections. And when I say like consistency, it's about and let's use amateur rugby as an example, we could have the best training plan in the world or the best session plan in the world. But what's hurting our team right now is we have, we have two sessions a week on the pitch and some of our first team players, you know, they're all students. They're, they're working full-time. They have families, you know, we get maybe 80% of the people out for a session. If we can get everyone there for two sessions a week, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter what they're doing and strength and conditioning wise, it doesn't matter what we're doing. Uh, tactically or whatever, just getting the team together more consistently is going to be the first step of making us better. And same thing when it goes to weights, like we can draw up a perfect weight training plan, but you know, if everyone gets in the weight room once or twice a week, I don't care if they're doing curls or bench press or squats or whatever, as long as they're training consistently, they're going to get better at this level. Now, when you're talking about world cup rugby level, you start to get some more <laughs> finer details of what's going to make you better. But for most athletes around the world, just training consistently is going to do a whole lot. And that even comes even at the elite level, like you could train the perfect training for six months and then you get injured and don't train for six months. Um, If you're able to find a way to train 11 months a year consistently without injury, you're going to get better. Um, So that's just, you got to keep building. You got to get that momentum from training and keep moving it forward. So uh, consistency for me is good. Uh, And when that, when you look at like my, individual sessions we don't try and kill it ourselves each session we always want to be able to come back for the next day and be a bit fresh and and build off of the last session and then the other part i said was uh, connections um you know for me it's also about performance is not about the individual elements about how they connect together same thing in rugby it's not about whether you have one or two good players it's about you know 15 guys playing well together uh, hammer throw technique it's like a It's not about strength or speed or coordination. It's about how you can bring the strength and speed into the coordination. And uh, that's, that's a huge part of how I design the training program itself. And even, I mean, you see all the time drills where you take someone and you, you break it up into a drill that's so broken off from the game that you can, you get, you can do these drills really, really well. And then you get into a game and you can't execute. Um, yep. it's cause the connections are missing. You've isolated something so much that the connections are gone. Same thing in the hammer throw. We can do technical drills that they look really fancy, but at the end of the day, they're so far removed from those connections that make the event what it is that you have to also think about how those connections play into things. If you want to get it to transfer back to the field or the, the is, ring, is there a place for that isolation? I, th- there is, but I, I don't think that should be making up the majority of training. Um, I think sometimes like w- when you have a really complex challenge, it- it's really hard to just understand what is all going on. So I think breaking it down is more for comprehension's sake. You can kind of feel okay, well, that's what I'm trying to get into. Yeah. Maybe that's 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 the position I want to get. But the position you want to get and then how you replicate this use a scrum as an example, but the position you want to get is one thing. But then okay, how do you maintaining that position in a pack and how do you maintain it in a dynamic environment where everything's moving? Um, you know, those, those are very different, but if you don't understand the position in the first place, you're never going to get in the end. So yeah, you need to, I think have that basic understanding, same thing in the hammer throw, like the, the basic footwork, sometimes you need to break that out with the beginners and just explain it. But uh, as soon as the basics are there, I like to throw it into a bit more of that chaos or the, the whole environment.
0: So when, when I was doing some research for this podcast,
1: uh, obviously a lot, of,
0: a lot of things came up, but something that, that has been a theme in Australia is, is a lack of mentorship for, for coaches in rugby in Australia. And I'm not sure about other sports, but I'm sure that that's a thing in general. So look, looking at some of the people that you've been influenced by in your athletic and coaching career, um, I, I must admit when I told our strength and conditioning coaches that you'd been, I hope I get his name right. Um, that you've been coached by Anatoly Wondachuk. They, they were like very excited and had a number of questions for you. T- tell me about him. What influences he had on your career? A- and are there any methods that you have taken from him that you can transfer
1: into a team sport environment? Yes, definitely. I mean, so he he's more known in the last decade in the strength conditioning world, but in the hammer throw world, um he's got a long history he was the 1972 olympic champion set the world record back then and then he took over as national coach in the soviet union from uh, 76 until the soviet union fell apart and they won every medal except the boycott olympics they won every single medal for um that time set the world records um we're just on a different level than the rest of the world so he was really one of the forerunners he helped revolutionize kind of the, the modern training methods and modern technique we use in the hammer throw um so he, he was, yeah, it, when you think about hammer throwing, he's the first name on the list of the top coaches ever. And I was lucky enough when I was in university, like I said, I was mostly self-coached. I was trying to emulate his training methods. And then he moved four or five hours away from me in Canada because I was in the U.S., I was right up near the Canadian border. Uh, his daughter lived in Canada and he wanted to be closer to his family as he was getting older. And so he moved up there and was helping an Olympic shot putter. And so I started to visit him twice a month. And eventually he said, Hey, you're trying to do my stuff. You want me to write your training program? And I was like, yeah, of course. (laughs) And ended up working with him either in person for a couple of years or remotely for nine years, uh, through the most of my career. And I think for him, a lot of people think about the hammer is a strength sport. You know, we're hurling this 16 pound ball, you know, 80 meters, uh, you need to be strong. That's that's completely true. But one of the things he started to revolutionize in the sport was that it's more than strength. Like I said, it's these connections. And you know, he was looking, and he was a strong guy, but his athletes were weaker than him, and they threw further. And you know, and his athletes' competitors were even stronger than them, but they didn't throw as far. So. Yes, you have to be strong, but strength is not the determining factor. And I'm sure you see this in rugby too. You have to to be a super rugby prop, you got to be strong. But are the strongest guys the best? You know, there are a lot of strong guys in the lower divisions and the lower leagues who just don't have what it takes to get there because he, it's more than just strength. And so he started to focus on trying to, you know, scientifically look at okay, well what what is that it factor? What is it that's going to make people transfer the results, transfer from training to the field. And, um, you know, that tends to be, you know, if you're, if you can throw hammers really well, you're going to be a good hammer thrower. It sounds pretty stupid, but that's uh, what it is. If you can, the more you throw, you also get specifically strong. Every time you throw that's building strength. There's, you know, hundreds of kilos of force going through your body that just to resist the implement and add speed to it. Um, so, you know, our first priority in training was throwing, 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 and we did strength and we did you know speed and all this other stuff too. But the, the top of the pyramid that we tried to build towards was, was throwing. And I think the same thing, that thought process, I mean, is a lot of the same in rugby. If you want to be a good rugby player, yeah, you got to be strong. You got to be fast, but you got to play rugby. You got to understand uh, the game. <laughs> yeah. And don't lose sight of the fact that you know a lot of people get sidetracked by, by weight room numbers or um, speed numbers. And those are important, but at a certain point, you know, if you can bench 160 or 180 kilos, you're probably strong enough. You, you just need to get better on the, on the pitch. Um, so that's, I think from a higher level, what you can take from it, but even at, at a smaller level, um, hammer throws a bit easier because we're a very controlled environment. We have a defined technique. We just do it over and over and we can measure it. We know, okay, that was a good throw because it went this far. Um, And that makes it a bit easier in training. We can start to see, okay, well, this went up in training, but I didn't throw further. Or that went down in training, but I did throw further. And we can start to analyze that and see what works. In rugby, that's a bit harder because, you know, yeah, you won a couple of games, but maybe you played a bad team. Are you really playing better right now? Or is this one player playing better? Or is the team playing better? It's it's a lot harder to, to get into that detail, but you can still try and break down the movement and try and figure out, okay, what is the limiting factor like in a scrum, you know, if the scrum is not very good, is that a, is it, it could be many things The players aren't strong enough. It could be the players are not working together enough. It could be you know, maybe they're strong enough, but they don't have ability to get in the right positions um, to, to push and apply that strength. Um, it, it, maybe they're so fatigued that they they are strong enough in the first minute, but after 20 minutes, they're just gassed out. So that mindset to see, okay, well, what is what is it that we need to do to get better? analyze it, break it down, and then make sure training is focused towards that. If the limiting factor is, um, you know, the, the fitness part, well, then let's let's adapt training towards that and let's try and figure out how we can solve that problem. So, so it's, so it's uh, up to
0: us as coaches to, to assess what the limiting factor is and then tailor training to suit, to suit that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's completely differently. Another thing I, I took a lot from him as I said, towards that consistency thing is, you know, for us, the priority was throwing. So every day we would throw a bit and, um, you know, we have these kind of, our training sessions would normally be 45 minutes or an hour, but we would train twice a day, 10 times a week and just do the same thing almost over and over. Um, and as I said, you're always fresh the next day, could always come back. And, um, but keeping the priority, you know, the kind of cliches, keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, and, so that those are a couple of things I think you can take no matter what sport you're in and, and use that. I, I think uh, if you're packing strums 10 times a week, I think, I, think
0: of, <laughs> I think your players might try and kill you. Can, can, I, can I ask you about Harold Conley? Oh, as I was doing a bit of research, his name came up and he has an incredible story. Could, could you just touch on him a little bit? Because I, I feel like people should know about this guy.
1: Um, please. he's when I, when i mentioned I was sending VHS tapes off to people he was the guy I was sending it off to so when i was uh, 14 15 16 years old learning the hammer throw um you know he he was the the mentor from afar who was helping me and really changed my life um but his, his own story is he was you know born in the 1930s broke his arm at birth and continued to break it a couple of times over his youth so it his one of his arms was, you know, three, four inches shorter than the other arm. He couldn't raise his arm above his shoulder. And yet, the hammer throw is a two handed event. You hold it with both your hands, unlike the shot putter discus or javelin. He went on to be world record holder for almost a decade, Olympic champion down in Australia in Melbourne in 1956. And, you know, despite this disability, was able to just, you know, everyone told him, you're not going to do it. It's one of those cliche sports movies. I feel like that hasn't been made, but it it actually is real life. You know, everyone's telling him you can't do it. You can't do it. And he did it. He was the best in the world by far. Um, Huge inspiration. You know, he won the gold medal in 1956. America has not won a gold medal since then. So his life's passion was to try and get another American back on the podium. And, you know, after he retired, he was a successful coach and then he was the head of special Olympics in the U S you know, had a, was a teacher as well, had a, you know, multiple careers retired in the late nineties and has basically volunteered and traveled around the U S to help promote the hammer throw and try and get people back on the, on the podium. And that's how I ran into him. He came through my city and is looking for a place to stay. And my family hosted him for the weekend. And, you know, he, he told me, he's like, you know, you've, you've got some talent, but you're, you're not focused at the time i was playing american football i was like you know 300 pounds and he's like you know you're, you're out of shape you need to get in shape you, you think you're going to be an olympic shot putter but all these olympic shot putters are like you know six eight and you know, freaks of nature and you know what your gift is is you can probably just apply yourself and focus and and be good at the hammer throw where it needs technique as well and uh you know having an olympic champion tell you that that focused me and <laughs>
0: I see a guy like that
1: too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, he told me he saw something, and I thought I started to see it as well. Um, but I wasn't the only one. I mean, he, for my generation, we had two world junior champions come out of the U.S. You know, last year we had, um, unfortunately, they didn't win a medal at the Olympics, but we had I think three men in the top ten in the world in the U.S., a couple women in the top ten in the world. Uh, so they're on the verge of something. It's really started to grow in the U.S. as a sport. Whereas 20 years ago, there was nobody. So it's, uh, hopefully the next time around in, in Paris, they'll get some, some athletes on the podium, but a lot of it comes from just his hard work and passion and just trying to grow the sport. And that came from his own passion. He, he had as an athlete way back when, I mean, he passed um, away, unfortunately in 2010, but, um, it's the, his work is still, the legacy is still there.
0: I, yeah, I, I read an article and I'd encourage everyone to go and read it on your website. It was, it was. Like as soon as I read the story, I'm like, I have to ask about him. And then I did a little bit of a little bit of research and went down a rabbit hole. And that there is a movie in that. What 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 made these guys special as coaches as people? Is there is there a common theme that they had that you could apply to your own career as a coach?
1: The tough question. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough question because they had very different like. Connolly and Bonnachuk had very different approaches. Um, but I mean, the common thing they had is that they, they were trying to solve this problem. Like I said, that coaching is problem solving. They want to help the athlete get better and they might come to different solutions. Um, like Connolly was much more about the drills. I was talking about breaking things down into the details, whereas Bonnachuk was like, just throw, throw, throw over and over. Um, but at the end of the day, they were trying to get you better. And that and comes from their passion. I think, um, it's a bit of a loose word people throw around, but, you know, every good coach you remember just breathes the sport, you know, and they, they, and they wanted the best for their athletes. You know, they're, they're never talking negative about their athletes. They, they, they see only, they look at their athlete and they see what they can be and that rubs off on the athlete. Like I said, if an Olympic champion tells you, you can be something, I, I believe it. <laughs> if he believes it, I believe it. And, uh, that made me want to do everything he said, you know, he could tell me to jump off a cliff and I jump off a cliff. Um, so I, I think that, I, I don't know how you, you learn that or how you spread that, but that is the, the biggest thing I took from them is that, you know, they, they wanted the best for me and you know, they're, they're both Olympic champions. I'm going to share as hell, do everything I can to not let them down.
0: So, mate, absolutely. Absolutely. So Dan, Dan, when he introduced us and told me about you, he mentioned that in, in his view, throw coaches are very good at transferring gym strength into practical on-field power. In your opinion, what can strength and conditioning coaches improve to further get the work in the gym to transfer into actual performance? I did read that because I wanted to word it properly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, um, I think part of it is just understanding what type of strength you need and understanding what there's a difference between really heavy squat and making you know a dominant tackle um and having a, a dominant scrum and, and these types of things and just understanding that strength is not strength there are different types of strength um there's gym strength and even in the gym you have explosive strength you have um just you know more static strength you have on the field different displays of strength and how different movements require different types of strength as i said in the hammer throw it's easy easier for us because we just are training towards one type of movement whereas in in rugby sports, uh, field sports, you know, in basketball and in, um, hockey and all these other sports, you have so many different movements to train for. It's a bit hard to say this is the type of strength you need. But I think that mindset of analyzing the movement, seeing what the demands of the movement are, and then tailoring the training towards that are going to be um, big in any sport. And, I, and you know, it's, hammer throws a more controlled environment. So I think we, we've done a good job of defining that. Um, but it's the same lessons applied to a, a bigger problem in, in all these other sports. It's just trying to figure out, well, strength is not just strength. What, what type of strength you actually need and how can you express that strength in a, in a chaotic environment?
0: So how do you, how do you, how do you view gym training for field sports then? Is, is it, or how should you view it? Is it, is it a matter of, um, just say you're an elite level front row, you're playing super rugby or international rugby. And is it a matter of getting your strength up to a standard and then going, okay, I'll maintain this standard. Obviously, you'd still try and improve or, or, or whatever you the way you would go about it. But how should SNC coaches look at it? Is it a matter of getting to a strength and then just progressing from there into rugby or this very terribly worded question? But did you understand what I'm trying to say?
1: Yeah. So I think. Yeah, it depends a bit on the athlete, but I think for probably most athletes at an elite level, they're probably strong enough. Just like I was saying, most of the hammer throwers are probably strong enough. You have to be strong, and if you if you were just extremely weak, it's hard to get to that level in the first place. And back to my other coaching philosophy is like consistently consistency. If if you're playing for years and years, and you're lifting once or twice a week, and you have a decent training plan, you're going to get the strength you need in the end. Um, so it's not like you need to be a bodybuilder in the gym eight hours a day. Um, So so I think those are are probably key things in that situation. And then it's, um, yeah, just focusing on becoming the best player player, you can be, best player you can be. And, you know, that, that could be any number of things. So maybe, and also understanding your strengths. I talk, we were talking earlier about understanding the limiting factor, also understand the strengths. Like if you're, um, you know, if, let's say your role is you're you're coming off the bench as a a front rower you're only going to play 20 minutes um and you're in there because you can provide some speed and change a pace or something um your limiting factor might be your fitness but if you're only gonna if you're only on the team because of your speed focusing all your energy on your fitness is probably not gonna make you a better player overall because you're going to probably dull your speed a little bit you're never going to have enough minutes to express that fitness so you're you're ignoring your strengths there just to work on your weaknesses so being aware of okay well what makes you good can also be um a big factor and then yeah looking at playing and skills and um you know how how that fits into the tactics and the game plan and and focusing on that i think is is big but i think a lot of um A lot of especially forwards they focus on just being bigger and stronger and that's that's one element but if you can't play um, you know we've got a young guy now with our club he's 21 years old he's on our national team he's only been playing for four or five years he's just a a beast in the weight room but you know what's him what's going to make him better is he's stronger than all the guys on the national team already he just needs experience playing because he's pretty young to the sport and you know don't do so much in the weight room that you're always coming to training sore. You're always coming to training tired, um, that put the rugby first. And then, you know, you can fill in the gaps with strength training and fitness training, but always put, you know, your rugby player first. Is there, is this might tie into that, but are there any common mistakes that you
0: see in strength and conditioning with sport teams? Are there any sorry repeat that? Uh, sorry, this might this might tie into the question I just asked, but are there any mm-hmm. common mistakes that you see uh, in terms of the athletic department in sporting teams?
1: I wouldn't say common mistakes because a lot of people do this right, but one thing I see people maybe let's say the difference between the good teams and the great teams, or the you know, the great teams and the bad teams is that the strength conditioning is really integrated into the, the rest of the coaching staff you know, the, you don't want to have basically, I mean, you want to have your whole staff working together. And if you, if you have a really hard uh, rugby session and then immediately go after into a weight room and have a really hard gym session, you're not going to get much out of it. Uh, and vice versa, if you have like really heavy squats on Monday and then you go out in the pitch and expect to do sprints on Tuesday or a really high paced session, it's not going to work. So I think the really good teams integrate that well. They talk together, they know, you know, what Do the, the rugby coaches see? What are they feeling they need to work on? And then the, the strength conditioning staff can help solve that problem and work on it together and vice versa. And the planning is more integrated. Um, and it starts to even blur the lines between what's a rugby coach and what's a strength coach because the, the strength coaches are out in the field. They're taking segments in the session as well. And there's that, that working together, of the staff, and so that, that's where I think it's maybe not a common problem, but I think that's what can set teams apart is when they start to get everyone on the same page, um, then it starts to work well, and that's one of the things that I learned a lot from from Bondarchuk is that whole analytic process is going to look very different in rugby than hammer throw. But if you get that whole team, the coaching staff, to do that process together, and they all define like, hey, we need to do A and B to be better, then you know you can design your drills on the pitch with that in mind. You can design your, your speed training with that in mind. You can design your strength training with that in mind and you get everyone working towards a common goal. So
0: yeah, it's, it's uh, the reason I asked that because the, the level of rugby that I'm at, uh, I mean, our club's very good, but it hasn't always been good. So, so getting your athletic department or your strength and conditioning coaches to have more of an understanding of the actual demands of the game and then meeting with the rugby coaches to come up with a synchronized plan to get us from A to B to C to D, is something that you would you would recommend for all
1: field sport teams? Yeah, I mean, even so, like I said, I'm helping an amateur rugby in Switzerland. Um, I started helping because they didn't really have much of a coaching staff. There's a turnover every year. And I would come once a month to do like a speed session. And now four or five years later, they've got me playing with them too. Um, I'm doing strength conditioning plans for the the top guys on the side. And, and I'm sitting down. Involved with the session planning, so um, for me as a strength coach, then I start to understand. Okay, what what is the goal? What are the tactics? What are we trying to do as a team? So it helps my my understanding as a strength coach, and then also can give some new ideas to the the skills coaches too, because a lot of times they they're eager to learn as well. They want our input. We might not know about the game as much, but you know maybe as an outsider that can bring some value too. So I just think having everyone. Understand the whole plan and, and what's going on. Um, that can help. And, and also, I mean, the more as a strength coach, you understand the game, it, it can only help. And that that can be not just understand the rules, but understand the tactics a bit. Um, you know what what you expect the role of each player to be in your tactical scheme. Um, but then also just understand, like for me, playing a little bit was a huge awakening for me because, you know. The collision element of rugby is something you can understand as an outsider, but until you play it a little bit, you, you don't really understand it because <laughs> what I would <laughs> <laughs> the sessions I would do one or two days after the game, people would be like, Oh, I'm sore. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, you're sore. I mean, I have hammer throwers who are sore. We you just, you know, get in the gym, move around, it's fine. And then uh, then you get banged up a bit yourself. And you're like, Well, this is a different type of sore, you know, getting yeah smacked around for 80 minutes is 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 different and um just to feel that even once or twice it's a kind of opened my eyes about okay well, this is what the players are going through when they do a game but that's also you know i have a physical training there's there's a certain amount of recovery you need to go with that and um you know our our after game sessions are now much more movement based than strength based and just trying to get people to uh, um you know get those aches and pains out and, and keep moving so what position did you play? Um, for a bit of everything, but forward. Not not a bit of everything. I was not a back. But <laughs> I start out as uh, second row, just because that's a bit easier to step in, less technical on the scrums. But we have the the issue. We just don't have big numbers, and I'm 115 kilos. So at a certain point, they're like, well, "I'm you, lucky. You're, you're <laughs> a prop." So. Um, <laughs> Most recently, I've been stepping in as a reserve for a tight head.
0: Um, There's no quicker way to make you lose weight than for someone to
1: tell you that you're big. You're playing in the front row.
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) Uh, We're running joke when we when we have new players come and they they introduce themselves at the end of the session. You ask, okay, what's your name? Where are you from? Um, Do you have any sisters? And then uh, the next question is what position? And if they go, um, you know, I don't know or whatever, everyone says prop, you know, that's the, (laughs) if you you don't know what you're playing, you become a prop because we always need props.
0: I think that's true in Australia as well, mate, to be fair. Um, I've got a few more questions for you and and then I'll let you go, mate. I'm really grateful for your time. This is something I've been um, sort of looking at in my own life. So as a coach, obviously it's quite easy to progress absolute beginners. It's, it's, It's a new skill for them whether it's strength training or the technical skills required in rugby, hammer throw, sprinting, whatever whatever area you want to look at. When it comes to progressing elite performers, how do you attack it? Because at a certain at a certain stage, their strength's going to get to a point where there's diminishing returns if they keep increasing it. Do you hammer the technical side? How do you view that as a coach progressing elite performers versus progressing the beginner?
1: I think part of it is that analytic process and just sitting down with the whole coaching staff and seeing, okay, what's going to make this player better and how can we attack that? Um, But also, I think a really easy thing that's overlooked a lot is just variation. I think a lot of elite players have been doing the same thing for 10 years. Mm-hmm. you know in hammer throw that's a like, Bondarchuk was an influence on me here because he was saying too like a lot of the, the he was looking at the american hammer throwers at the time they would get big and strong but they'd hit a plateau about 23 and you look at it at 23 they'd been five six seven years basically you know they squat they bench they do cleans they do snatch and they just do every single year starts to look the same and then they they maxed out on that plan and they're not going to get much more so he was his his approach is more hey let's do let's do front squat for three, four months, and then we'll do back squat for three, four months. And so it's, everything doesn't look the same year round. You're trying to think about, okay, how can we give the athlete a new stimulus? And it's not necessarily a better stimulus, it's just a different stimulus that can keep getting better. And so maybe the athlete's been doing, um, you know, a lot of really heavy lifting, maybe they need to be doing more explosive work, just because that can be, Um, a new stimulus for them. Maybe they've been doing a lot of uh, endurance and fitness work. Maybe they need to do more sprint stuff just because it's, you know, it's different. So I think that that variation element can be, um, can be quite, quite big and and quite helpful, even if it's not something better, it's just something a a little bit different. And I also think as elite athletes, sometimes we tend to, you know, we gravitate, we build that base when we're young and we work towards the top of the pyramid and we lose fat, we lose focus that, that, that base was so essential in getting us there. And we, we spend all our time focusing on these really specific points that that base erodes over time. And, you know, you, you might cut out the mobility stuff. You might cut out the, this and that, and you just, you show up, you play rugby and you do a little lifting, then you go home and, you know, th- you know especially as you get older too you start to cut things out of training you can't recover the same and you cut out some of these things that might seem less specific but they're also what kept you healthy and helped make you become a better all-around athlete um so for me in my own hammer throwing career it was like I was 32 i had my first injury when i was 32 so i was really lucky i, I was able to train consistently throughout my career then had a bit of an injury and then i took a step back and it's like well i haven't you know, I haven't done a good warm up in probably five years. I just show up and I start training. Um, a good warm up can go a long ways. I haven't done a lot of just basic strength stuff. I'm doing all this special strength, very specific to the hammer throw, you know, going back and building that foundation again can be important. So I think for a lot of athletes, especially those who are over 30 and have been in the game for a while, taking a step back and doing really general stuff um, can actually have a, a good transfer just because you might have neglected it for a long time.
0: I know you've done some work with Dean Benton at Rugby Australia, who is extremely well-regarded and has come up many times on this podcast. Are you, are you able to, we can cut this out if, if you can't talk about it, but no, are, you can, able, yeah. are you able to talk about
1: some of the work you've done with Dean? Yeah, I mean, a thing we talked about today is mentors. And, um, you know, Dean's been a mentor of mine in rugby. He actually was one of the guys that first got me interested in rugby because we, we share a common mentor and that's Vern Gambetta. Um, Vern was kind of a pioneer of strength conditioning in the U.S., Um, worked track and field background, but he's worked in uh, World Cup soccer. He's worked in baseball, basketball, like almost every professional sport you can think of uh, he's worked in. And and he was one of Dean's mentors and he was one of my mentors. And we were at a conference and um, all three of us and Dean was presenting and he was talking about his work with the Brumbies. It's like 2014 or so, I think. Um, And I was like, that's pretty cool. And then the World Cup was coming up in 2015. And that's when I started to really um, follow the rugby world quite a bit and every time I have a question about rugby he's one of the first people I call just because he's got he, Dean also has a track and field background so we can speak that language together but then he can give me some ideas on the rugby side um, so he's, he's been a big mentor to me he's how I met Dan because um, Dan he knows Dan through the Brumbies as well and yeah everything <laughs> kind of comes full circle but what we started doing this year with Rugby Australia is uh, so Vern, Vern Gambetta and me um, are, are trying to help build up a bit of a mentorship among the performance staff across Rugby Australia, not just Dean, but, um, you know, John Pryor's at the national team you know, with the Wallabies. You've got all the super rugby clubs. You've got the academies. You've got the um, women's. you got sevens. You know, all, all these different facets of Rugby Australia. And just trying to, to – create that conversation, create that, you know, these discussions around training and get people thinking um, analytically about it. And so what we've done is basically um, it's a bit hard <laughs> in the modern era where we can't travel down there, but we, we have um, Virgen better runs a conference every year. We've got a, a huge library of, of, you know, lectures and everything on all kinds of topics. So, you know, we'll choose a theme for a month like this in January, we are looking at hamstring injuries we have a couple of videos from our library. We'll send those around to people beforehand to have them, you know, say what they found interesting in it, additional questions they have, things like that, and then get everyone on a, on a zoom for an hour, hour and a half and, and talk through those. And we have, you know, real experienced coaches with, with Vern, with Dean, with a lot of the, uh, the club coaches as well. And then we also have, you know, people are right at the start of their career too. So we've got a whole spectrum and it's just a chance to, we create a talking point and, and you know, work through it together to try and, the one hand, learn another hand, um, you know, kind of get a common understanding of course, different clubs are going to have different approaches, but you know, if we can get the basics, uh, everyone on the same page, that's going to help push Australia forward, um, uh, in that regard. So, um, yeah, Vern and I are, are helping with that and it's been, been a fun project also. Um, obviously it's, it's, you know, work, but at the same time, it's a huge learning experience for me to be able to to get in there with coaches and see it from their perspective as well.
0: Especially, especially learning rugby as well, I'm, I'm sure it's got the the added benefit for you of being able to to pick some of these guys' brain and you know and apply it to your own coaching as well.
1: Exactly. So it's been a, a huge, uh, cool network. And as you said, there's a lack of mentors in in Australia, and especially with the lockdown you know, coaches, and staffs are very isolated. You're not getting that same exchange of knowledge you might get from visiting the neighboring club, going out to training and and stuff like that. So if we can recreate that a little bit and try and get people talking, um, you know, everyone's, everyone's going to want to have their own little secrets, but at the same time, if we create a conversation, it's going to push everyone forward a bit and, uh, and help that out. So that's been a uh, fun and uh, you know Vern's been a good mentor to me Dean's been a good mentor to me mentors are crucial um you can try and do everything on your own as I was saying you, you need autonomous athletes but you also need a, a kind of guiding star to push you in the right direction sometimes um I, I have to ask
0: Dan mentioned that he used a lot of your some of your core work in the gym um could you talk about that a little bit and is there anything that I could steal there
1: I think um a lot of the stuff with with core training the hammer throw i mean hammer throw you're like the center of the system that's spinning around and around and around so you need to apply a lot of force and a lot of times what we're doing with core training in the gym is thinking about okay how can i create force you know you're doing a sit-up you're 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 actively doing something you're uh, doing a twisting exercise you're actively doing something but a a lot of what the core is about is also it's a connection in the chain you know from from the hand or the shoulder down to the the legs, if you want to transfer power from the legs up to the upper body, it has to go through the, um, the core. And and so it's, the core is not as much about generating power in a lot of movements as it is about being a connection. And a lot of the stuff we're doing there is helping it better transfer that connection. And what does that mean? Well, a lot of it's thinking about how you can maintain good posture, how you can maintain good stiffness, um, especially against you know, some external forces and stuff. So, and for example, a lot of stuff we're doing, especially recently, is not necessarily twisting movements where we're trying to accelerate the implement really quick, but we're also trying to break it. So how quickly can you, can you stop it? So if you're doing a twist instead of focusing just on how fast you can make it go, how fast can you stop it? Cause to be able to stop a plate twist, for example, or we'll use aqua bags or other, other tools, you have to have good posture. If you're, if you're leaning over, forward you're not going to be able to effectively uh stop it quickly so you have to that forces you into good posture and that forces you to to be able to um, uh, apply that and same thing in 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 rugby as well you know you have to have good posture you have to have the ability to stop forces as well as create forces and i think that's something that people overlook you you know you need to create forces with the the core as well but um a lot of people do that training a lot of people can do that well but um that's that's stopping forces And then also just trying to think, you know, beyond sit-ups. Like in the hammer throw, we're never doing an action where we're, you know, bending or um, like that. We're actually trying to stay more upright. So why would we do that in training? We're doing a lot of more rotational things because we're a rotational sport. Um, other yep. sports maybe it's going to look a little bit different. But again, understand the demands of your sport and, and how you do that. Mate, but I think awesome. with uh, with with Dan, a lot of the just understanding. He's a scrum coach, understand the scrum position. How can you challenge that to force people to um, maintain a stronger position and things like that have been helpful for him?
0: Um, mate, I really, really appreciate this. I've just
1: got a couple of rapid
0: fires and then I'll, I'll let you go back to your day. Do, yep. do you have any regular podcasts that you
1: listen to that you'd recommend? Um, to be honest, I, I make two podcasts, but I haven't been listening to a ton of podcasts lately, just because I I used to always listen to podcasts in my commute and I'm doing so much home office now that (laughs) my my commute isn't as long. Um, but, but when I did listen to podcasts, uh, I was not listening to sports podcasts as much as other podcasts. Like the last one I listened to a whole lot was called rhinestone cowboys. It's kind of like a country music history podcast. I'm not like a I like country music. I'm not like a country music nerd, but it it was a good um, storytelling about like a lot of these uh, stars, how they came up, how their famous songs and stuff came about, and the the uh, so some good stories in there. The yeah, the it's just a lot of stories, and you know, you might not even know half the people, but it's just interesting how interwoven the whole um, history of music is. Do you have any books that you regularly recommend to people? Um. Again, I need to read more. I need to listen to podcasts more. <laughs> most of my learning is done by talking to people lately, which is good. Um, Me too. Me too, uh, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, there. The I'll just say the book I read the most recently that's been real interesting. Um, it's called the, the Way to Excellence. It's by a Swiss coach, Jean-Pierre Egger. He was coached a couple of times world champion in the shot put. And then went on to, he coached the French basketball team and strength conditioning to like a silver medal. And uh, he's worked with a Lingi sailing team that won the America's Cup. Every sport he's helped, they've been champions. And and what I like about it is he's been able to find a good balance of, he talks about what he does on the training side, but then it's it's what you do on the life side. You know, you have to have the same principles and training as you do in life. And that path to excellence is going to be, not just about what sets and reps you're doing. So I think that that's important, especially on the strength and conditioning side is you got to have that that passion, that mindset. Those types of things are going to be probably as much of the game changers if you're doing five sets in a, a set or five reps in a set or four reps in a set.
0: Beautiful. I'll definitely check that out, mate. Do you, Are you similar to me where a lot of your personal development is done in podcast conversations?
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I'm, as I said at the start, I'm doing a lot of stuff, so it's, I'm working. I've got my own website. I got a couple of podcasts. I've got two kids. I've got coaching. I've got, um, you know, different sports I'm working with. I, I don't have a couple hours a day to read. Uh, I wish I did. I, there's a lot of my stack of books that, to read next to my bed. My wife keeps making fun of me. It's only getting bigger. And it's not getting smaller. Um, but I do have the chance to to talk to great practitioners around the world. And, you know, when I'm doing consulting with with different sports, again, it's a chance to, for, for me to share some knowledge, but then for also for me to learn. So I, I that's that's the main way I, my personal development is, is talking and sharing ideas with coaches and working through real examples of, you know what what can we do here
0: I, I must admit doing a podcast myself the the unexpected benefit
1: has been the the learning that i've no, done definitely. from it
0: as well it's um it, to me this is the best way to learn like i've yeah i've done 40 episodes and i've learned so much already two more questions mate yep. when was the last time you had a significant change of mind
1: probably over the last two years um yeah as i mentioned like with Bonderchuck, we focus on the specific stuff you know we focus on the main thing, and during the lockdowns and stuff that often wasn't possible we weren't our hammer throw facility was closed for two months we couldn't even we we literally couldn't throw and the hammer's not something you can just go do in a park um you need you need a cage you need a specific facility so you know if you asked me a couple of years ago okay how how would we have been if we two months leading into the season we couldn't actually throw the hammer I would say horrible you know and that 2020 season after lockdown, almost every one of my athletes still had a personal best. Um, so it's kind of changed my mind a bit about the role of the general work as well. We get so focused on the specific stuff. Like I said, sometimes we forget that, that you need that foundation behind it all, or we get away from that over the couple of years. So I, I've incorporated a lot more of that. We're doing a lot more um during the lockdown, we did a lot of even kind of gymnastic stuff or mobility stuff, or just learning how to use your body weight and, and that type of thing. And we've carried that forward and use that a lot more than we did a couple of years ago. So that's been one of my, my big changes of mind.
0: Last question, mate. And I ask everyone this,
1: what advice would you give 18 year old you? Huh. Um just explore. I mean, I I think I did that well. Cause if you would told 18 year old me, I'd be, you know, playing rugby and coaching rugby in Switzerland. And (laughs) they would be like, are you crazy? Um, but just keep being curious. Like, I think that's the, the good coaches are curious and maybe they stay in the same sport, but they're always trying to learn, um, don't be afraid to, to take challenges. I think uh, Kelvin Giles used to work up in Queensland and he's back in Australia as well. Um, but a, a lot of the top strength and conditioning coaches in Australia went through him. And one of his advice to his coaches at the time was, you know, don't be afraid to leave Australia. Um, you know, and you look at this, someone like Dean, who he went out to England a couple of times, John Pryor, who's with the Wallabies. He was up in Japan and Fiji um, you know, get outside your comfort zone and, and try, try something new. Um, I, I think I did that. It took me a while to figure that out. Cause I really wanted to have a structured, uh, world, but I would say even embrace that earlier and, uh, explore. Thank
0: you so much for this. That's a fantastic way to end. Where, where can people find you? I, I must admit, I've been looking at your Facebook, very jealous of some of the, uh,
1: the scenery of where you get to live. I've got an Australian friend coming to visit me this week and he's like um, snow and mountains are something he's not used to. So he's living in Holland now too, which has absolutely no mountains either. So it's like, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a different atmosphere than in Australia. I mean, I also miss your guys' son. So I see pictures of people on the beach and I get jealous, but uh, you, can, you can follow on on Instagram, on Twitter, the handle is Hammer Media. That's spelled HMMR. So um, it's shorter. HMMR media. Uh, our webpage is also hmmRmedia.com. Uh, lots of free resources. We have membership options and stuff too. A whole, a whole bunch of lectures and video library that is there as well for people who want to learn more, but there's a ton of free stuff. If you just want to poke your head around and, and learn a little bit on coaching from a variety of different sports and backgrounds. Mate, I really appreciate it. I've, I've
0: really enjoyed this. Thank you very much for your time and, and enjoy the rest of your day, mate. Thank you. Thank you too. Enjoy. Thanks, mate. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Can I please ask that if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you check us out on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, at Wandering Bear Sports. Please make sure you like, subscribe, share, and um, we'll see you again soon. Thanks so much and have a great week.